On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Ore Runshowe, the founder of Arami Essentials, a digital native beauty brand out of Nigeria. She's an incredible young, empathetic entrepreneur who has been able to build an incredible business off of Instagram and now onto digital platforms. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. There was an element of nostalgia sitting with another beauty entrepreneur and talking shop as it were but there's definitely a lot of gems around digital brand building and business building especially out of africa welcome to another episode of third culture africans i am your host zezo oriaki sal i created the show as a resource for our community of africans and african diaspora a safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Ore. Thank you for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hi, Zuzi. Thank you for having me. So we were chatting a little bit um, before we, we came on air, but oh, online, on air, it's really odd. Like on air is like radio. Online would probably be like the podcast <laughs> version of like what you do. You and I have had previous communication before this for an article that I was writing on, I guess, how businesses are faring especially in Africa and the beauty sector, on account of the pandemic. And one of the things, and I'll let you introduce yourself properly to our listeners, in your own words, that is, because I always do an intro, but you've built a digitally native brand in Africa, which is quite unique in itself, but also everyone at the tip of their tongues is talking digital on account of pandemic. So I would love to tap into that at some point in this episode, but I digress. You can let us know you're the founder of Arami Essentials, a huge cult beauty brand for millennials, and I probably think even more. And you've been able to carve out a space in the beauty industry for affordable and accessible luxury beauty products that still is paying homage to the indigenous nature of the ingredients that you use, but very much in the vein of your cool in parenthesis a vibe if that's a, a good enough description of what you've been able to do with around me essentials I'll let you do it better though because you probably do it better than me. <laughs> well thank you so much it's really a pleasure to be online <laughs> or on air with you and it's a really really it's just nice to like sit and talk about things like you know we're always like doing 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 so it's nice to really just like connect and really just talk about things because you can get so lost in the bubble of just doing that you forget that there are actually people that you know you can actually talk to about how things are going so thanks so much and thank you for the really nice introduction it's always interesting when I hear people talk about me and Arami and I'm like who are they talking about it can't be me it can't be Arami but apparently it is so thank you very much um, as you said my name is Ore Rinshoe I'm the founder of Arami Essentials so a four-year-old beauty brand based in Lagos Nigeria the ethos of the brand is simple affordable presentable cosmetics and wellness products and we're really trying to pioneer the rebirth of finding out how these amazing natural heritage ingredients from Africa can be represented well in the world as finished products so rather than just saying oh Africa is home to shea butter it's home to coconut oil or marula oil but actually looking at a way that we as Africans who you know really know a lot about these ingredients and how they work the efficacy of them and how they work together how we can actually look at representing that properly in the world and not just looking at them as um, ingredients to be put into finished products from from other parts of the world which are great as well but looking at how we can you know look at how we can really harvest them in their most raw and potent form and where we're trying to go with army is too so that's been really like the first phase of the brand which is what we've been kind of doing in these years but what we want to do now is kind of take it a step further and actually redefine what exactly beauty is in africa and how we can work with modern day 
innovative ingredients from across the world, marrying them with these natural heritage ingredients and producing really effective products. So it's it's been a joy to work on this brand or to own this brand or, you know, build this brand for the last couple of years. And I guess I'm just very excited for the years ahead. And yes, it's been a difficult year. Um, I don't think there's anybody that, that can say, even if you've succeeded in this year there's not really anyone that can say that this year hasn't been difficult in some way and difficult might sometimes seem negative but I see it as a challenge so how boring life would be if there were no challenges that's the honest truth how boring life would be if we were just coasting along and things were just working without us lifting a finger so this has been the year where we've had to really not just lift a finger but lift our whole selves up to really stand firm and actually survive so I'm looking forward to the year ahead because you know I keep hearing a lot of people saying you know 2020 just needs to end I need 2020 to just be done I'm ready for 2021 and the way I look at things is what if 2021 is very similar to 2020 in that are we looking at the retail landscape, the beauty landscape, the world landscape in general as going to, is it going to have this flip reverse kind of effect in January, January 1st, 2021? Do we think the world's going to just go back to the way it was in 2019? Everything is just going to completely change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And that's the thing. We have to be realistic. The, the 2021 is going to be better than 2020, not because the same thing might not be happening but because we now have a better understanding of how to navigate this season or this era this covid era this era that has been ravaged um you know health wise and you know it's it's done a lot to communities it's done a lot to businesses it's done a lot to people's mental states of their minds so how can we better navigate you know if we knew what we knew about 2020 and 2019 we would have been able to handle 2020 better so now that we know that 2021 could be not that different to 2020 in terms of how the way our businesses and the industries and the way that our our minds are going to work and what we're going to be exposed to, we might actually be able to run in a better way because we're, we're prepared. So, you know, kind of use this year to build, to understand, to understand the the online landscape, to understand our customers. We've not done so much in terms of like releasing new things, even though we have a couple of things out before the end of the year in terms of some different things that we want to do. But this hasn't really been the year. We thought 2020 was going to be the, you know, the beginning of a new decade. We're going to pioneer this and we're going to do that. Unfortunately, 20 or rather fortunately, 2020 has been a different kind of year for us because we've really had to understand our customers. And at the end of the day, who are we without our customers? We have to really understand that. We kind of pride ourselves in the fact that we really want to have the ethos um, of in customer engagement and community building that's so integral to the brand but it's no longer allowed to be this flowery language and asking a couple of questions on Instagram and you know liking comments and responding to customers questions it's now gotten to the stage where we have to have in-depth conversations with our customers we've held webinars we've called customers want to have one-on-one conversations with customers we've really tried to delve deep into the minds of our customers because even they are navigating something new. We're navigating something new as a business, but our customers are navigating something new in terms of being a consumer. So what can we understand from them and how can we help them to feel better at this time? You know, this year has taught us it's not always about just selling, selling, selling. You know, what about the wellness and the mental health of the person you're selling to? Is it enough to sell, you know, a soap or a cream to someone and they're feeling so down and so low and so just not happy about themselves or about the world. We have to actually care about what is going on and we really have to speak to the hearts of our customers. And we realize it's not that hard because we are human as well. (laughs) We're not robots. (laughs) So we also feel things too. And so it's really just been a year where we've kind of sat back a little, not because we're not bothered or we're complacent, but because there seems to be more important matters at hand. We know that we need to have an understanding of these things before we can really, really move forward. Nicely put, you know, I'll be amiss to pretend that I don't know much about the industry uh, that you're in, which I do. (laughs) But I guess in so many ways, like you with Malay, my brand, unlike you, we weren't a digital native brand. You know, I started the business in 2009. Digital was always sort of a a prop tool 
and somewhat of a, a shop window for anyone who couldn't reach the brand to be able to learn more. And with the pandemic hitting, you know, I had the opportunity of resting on my laurels um, while still trying to build the brand in an older way. You know, COVID for sure put at the fore that there's a lot of positive that can happen in the digital space, especially from a retail and just connecting with your customer perspective. I think there's always been prior to the pandemic, there was always this polarizing debate around, you know, how useful is digital, if not exploitative, you know, there was that whole, I know if you followed the trial, they had Facebook and Amazon and stuff in the US. And it was about their responsibility to the customer and how these digital platforms are playing a role in our lives and in politics, etc. Mm. And this seems to be a huge factor, even in business, right? And, and when considering it, but you were able to build Arami for the first few years while holding down a full-time job off of a Facebook account, an Instagram, sorry, account. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> those years were tough. It was not easy at all, not for the faint-hearted at all. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. It was, you know, when you have passion, you have a passion for something, you find a way and you make the time. That's the honest truth. And it was an interesting period of time for me because I was just saying this to someone the other day that I always thought that I will have a career and I'll climb the corporate ladder. I've always been very ambitious in that way. So I always thought I was going to climb the corporate ladder pretty quickly, get to the top. Yeah. And then, you know, somewhere in my like late 30s, early 40s, I'd, you know, give it all up to go and start my own business. And, you know, it was just, I had it all planned out to be very honest. So when the idea of Arami, you know, arose and, you know, I realized that it was something that I really could see, that I could envision it and I could see it working. It was like, okay, but I still really like my job. So let me just be doing this on the side and then I'll still be working and it'll be fine. But it, it just started to grow. And I was just like, wow, okay. But as I said, wherever there's a will, there's a way. So, you know, it was late nights, early mornings, barely any sleep. In that, when I see some of my ex-colleagues now, they're like, how do you look like this? Like, we're so used to just seeing you with like bags under your eyes and just like, you know, tired and just, you know, because I'd be like waking up early before work. I would go to work. I'd leave work on time. I would be up all night because, you know, in the beginning you're doing everything. You're doing customer service. You're, you know, working on the formulations. You're speaking to customers. You're posting on digital. And I guess for me, there was a sweet spot in that, my background is actually in communications and my last role was in digital marketing. I was going to hit on that to, <laughs> to, to say, well, yes. you had a cheat sheet to start a digital native yeah. brand. <laughs> it was, um, I, I, the way I look at it is sometimes in life, it seems things that we do seem very random and it seems like we don't know why we're doing certain things. It's now in this time of my life that it's like all the dots are connecting. It's like, okay, this interest in DIY and, you know, understanding beauty in a deeper way and wanting to understand formulations and skin and the beauty industry, number one. Then it's this like interest that grew in my whole career, like before I started Army and, you know, in the early years was in communication. So this interest in public relations, in digital, in social media, Okay, that was another part. And then like this inner ambitious nature that I guess I've always had and known that I would run a business at some point and, you know, always wanting to understand, you know, how to run a business, but from a very just like surface way. And then also being able to like understand how to like manage people, how to manage things and just understanding that multitasking nature that I had like naturally. So it was like all these things then started coming together because I'm like, to me, it just didn't seem difficult. It didn't even seem like rocket science having this brand that I was going to start on Instagram because it was what I knew and I could see brands on social media and how they were able to engage with communities. And these were translating into sales because this is what I was doing 
for my day to day. So it's almost like everything about you coming together and you come full circle. You're like, oh, that's probably why God has put this in me to be like this. And that's why this, this is this. And things just kind of make sense. I think for me, it was, yes, it, it was kind of a cheat sheet, but yeah, it was something that I really enjoyed. I really understood how digital can grow things because we literally grew an organic following. Like we've never paid for followers. I can count on two hands how many times we've done paid ads for a couple of days. And this is just even to kind of test and even try and understand how paid advertising really works and everything. So the following is very organic and it can be seen in our engagement in that customers are talking to themselves in the comments. They're asking each other questions, you know, they're posting, they're wanting to engage. Like it's all very like organic and everything. And yes, someone can say, okay, that's, it's quite a short period of time to grow a following on social media. But I feel that it's a number of things that come into play. It was the consistency in terms of how we're posting, the kinds of things were posting the photography it was also the communication of who we were in a consistent way we are this we are simple we're about natural ingredients but we want to talk about innovative new ingredients we're all about taking care of your body the wellness aspects the safe aspect the health aspect not just talking about skin but nutrition and you know the mind and bringing all these things together so that we have more of a, like a holistic approach. So a lot of our posts are not just buy this today, get 10% off, buy this, buy, buy, buy. We're more wanting to educate people as to like why this will be good for them. And also being honest, integrity is a very key, key part of the business and wanting to be transparent as well, wanting to let customers know this is not suitable for your skin type. Do you understand your skin type? If you don't, please here is information so that you understand your skin type. And now you know the products that we have that will work for you, but you also know the ones that will work for you. Just because your friend uses this doesn't mean that you should use this. And making sure that we are building a community of people that actually understand things. Because as I was saying to two of my friends the other day, we were all entrepreneurs and one of them owns a clothing brand. The other is actually a content creator. And we were just talking about how we wish there was more collaboration amongst women and you know there's a lot of things that women can do together who leverage off of other businesses rather than being secretive about this and that and everything and one of the things that we were saying was that it is very important that we're honest with ourselves and we don't just say oh I'm going to have a customer who buys every single thing on their beauty shelf from Aramie because it's not realistic if you look at anybody's shelf when it comes to their hair their skin their body their clothes everything it's not from one brand so how can we look at your life and look at where we can slot in rather than dominating how can we complement your routine rather than saying everything that we have is suitable for you. We'd rather have you buy one or two products and they're, they're staples in your routine that you try everything from our brand. You throw everything that you have and you, you use everything from our brand and then you break out and then you never, you never use the brand again because you've had a terrible experience. So honestly, in terms of what is suitable and what is not, I would rather say I have nothing that is suitable for your concern than to pretend that we do. Because like, for instance, I'm not a licensed dermatologist. If I see somebody that has extremely bad, you know, acne that it needs real treatment and real, you know, knowledge about how to handle, I the first question I'm going to ask you is, have you spoken to a dermatologist? Have you been to a doctor to understand the reaction? Because the last thing we want is for people to use our products and then have adverse reactions. So the honesty and transparency thing is very important. And it's something that especially in Africa, we have to make sure that we are championing as much as possible because unfortunately there are a lot of um, brands, not even just in beauty, but across the different industries that are not selling customers exactly what they are saying they are because of the lack of regulation. So we are trying our best to be as honest and transparent as possible so that we can gain the trust of our customers. Amazing. I want to touch on, I guess, the power of, you know, you have, I guess I've written here, influencer fave. You, you know, you've been able to build a brand that influencers love. And I, I'll go back to that in a minute. But 
you know, you talked about having worked in communications and PR for about six years. Now, you know, a lot of the time there's this debate about, you know, five to nine, nine to five. And then, you know, when do you know to make the switch? And then there's also, was it even useful getting that career? You know, you've kind of touched on that, like, you know, having done that as a day job, you could see how you could apply that into your business. But when did you know to make that switch from, okay, holding down two jobs? And and I guess the challenge with that is, probably in the beginning, you didn't have a lot of people understand that you were holding down two jobs till it became Arami Essentials to what people know now. But what was the moment where you realized, okay, now is the right time to make that switch? Firstly, the first bit that you had spoke about regarding, you know, working at both of them at the same time and, you know, really understanding if having a job really does help you. Um, later in life and I think the biggest answer to that is yes from my point of view anyway the soft answer would be that yes communications has helped me to build a business that has grown you know mostly off of digital that's obviously the most obvious thing but underneath that the discipline the structure and the I guess the exposure that having a nine-to-five gives you is irreplaceable. I don't think that a lot of people will be able to gain those things if they go straight from education to being an entrepreneur. So I feel that even if it's, no one is saying you have to work for six years like I did, or even 20 years like some other people do, but even if it's just one year, even if it's six months, try and get some formal work experience because it really does help the way that I'm able to manage my team I know it's because of some of the bosses that I've had who at the time I probably were like oh my gosh you guys are so finicky and just over the top but then in my latter years I'm seeing it as like no this is not being finicky and over the top this is structure this is planning this is an allowing people to have you know real accountability to what they're doing and ensuring that things are not missed off of and you know as the business grows these things are really needed so I feel that I really wouldn't trade those years for anything I don't wish I started army any sooner than I did I wish I think it was really just the right time and I feel that it was actually you know a lot of people have those and this brings me on to the second part which is like when did you know that it was the right time you know lots of people have experiences where they're like you know the work was just horrible they just knew that something had to give and you know they had to get to a place where they were like okay it's now or never and you know the work side of things pushed them to into the corner but for me it was very hard because I didn't have that experience in my last role. I absolutely loved my job. I loved Arami more, of course, but I loved my job. I loved my colleagues. I loved what I was doing. I loved the atmosphere. I loved I loved the stability of having a paycheck at the end of every month. Yeah. <laughs> I was very okay with yeah. those things. And I really didn't mind staying there. And I think if I could have had more of a flexible working uh, life, and I know that, you know, some companies in the Western world are are looking into how that can happen. And I was reading a book a couple of years ago called The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Keller. And it talks about how you can try and condense like your nine to five into, you know, four hours a week if you're really, really efficient and then using the other time to do other things. And, you know, in the Western world, people are able to work from other locations. And, you know, even with COVID, the whole working from home thing means that I'm sure a lot of people have started businesses in this time because you're able to actually have better work-life balance and able to focus on things that probably mean more to you. So I really feel that if I was able to have had that flexible working experience, I might not have left at the time. I would have left still and probably by now I still would have left, but maybe I would have stayed maybe another six months, but it just wasn't meant to be. But I think for me, when I really knew that it was crunch time was about six months prior and I was just really just running through things mentally and something just told me in my gut that you know all right the time is coming like this the jump is going to need to happen and you know the thing is I think I always thought that even when I started army I knew that this wasn't really the plan I was meant to be doing this in a few years time but I was like yeah I'll still just do it on the side for a few more years and everything but then it was like that knowing in my gut just I guess I was like, this seems a bit early. I'm not really sure I'm ready to do this full time. But then I think one of the most 
important things that I realized was, you know, while I was still working my nine to five, I was building Army and I'm, I, I'm building a team. So I remember there was one day and I was talking to one of my team members. And after I got off the phone from her, like not that anything happened, but after I got off the phone from her, the thought came to me and it was, how do you expect to have a team that are 100% committed when you're not even 100% committed. And the honest truth is that if you have a nine to five and you have a side hustle, your side hustle, it can't be your only priority because you have a nine to five. So when I then realized that I was not able to give 100% of myself to my business or to my my full-time job, it just didn't make any sense anymore because why am I putting, you know, the where I was working, that's somebody else's vision and dream. They also thought about that thing number years and years ago and I'm working for them, right? So why am I putting their own dream at Jeopardy? Why am I putting the business's success at Jeopardy? How would I feel if somebody was doing that to my business? And am I able to do my role 100%? And that's a real key question I would say anyone that is, you know, what is going through the whole nine to five and the side hustle thing, nine to five, five to nine, they need to ask themselves, what is suffering from what you're doing? And business was also suffering as well because to get Aramie to another level or to a new level, I I couldn't work nine to five anymore because I look at all the things I did in the earlier parts of the year before COVID hit and even when COVID had hit and even at the end of last year, there are a number of things I, I've had to be involved in that there is no way that I would have been able to have a full-time job and do it. So if I even just use one example, we were asked to be part of a campaign with Visa, which you know was quite a big deal and it was on a lot of platforms and it was really an amazing experience. It was honestly a privilege and it did a lot for the business in terms of awareness and growth and everything. And it was during COVID and so it was a great, great time in, to be honest. Um, but I wouldn't everyone have... so I saw it <laughs> yes yeah, so I mean I was getting calls from a lot of people and I was like this is not embarrassing I would go out and be are you not the owner of Aramie I'm like oh my goodness but you know it's, it was great for the brand I wouldn't have been able to do that you know in terms of Aramie was quite known before we did Visa but I don't feel like a lot of people knew me as the founder because I was never really putting myself out there because I knew I had a nine to five. So I just, even though there was no conflict of interest because the the business, the company I was working for was nothing to do with beauty or anything. It was actually a financial institution, but just because like I still have a nine to five, I have to respect that the fact that I have this nine to five, I couldn't just like, you know, be on TV and be doing interviews and be doing like even podcasts. I just wasn't able to do things like that. And it was from a respect kind of thing for my nine to five, but also because of the time constraints, I wasn't able to dedicate this kind of extra time. It's easy to do business things in the middle of the night. It, you can't do things like recording podcasts. I can't say, oh, hi, I'll, I'll be available to, to record this at 9 p.m., maybe actually 11. So it, it's not going to work. I think once you realize that you're not able to dedicate, you know, to put your best foot forward in, in either thing, what is the point of doing both? And when you're then also trying to build a company culture and a team, how are you expecting your team to be committed to your business when you're not, they can see visibly that unfortunately, even though you are, you say you are, you're not sleeping at night because you're working during the night, you're not 100% committed to the business. And I also feel that life is an all or nothing thing. If you're putting one leg in and one leg out of, out of something, how do you expect that thing to succeed? How? It's actually not possible. It's a risk. Everything is a risk. And even when I dropped my resignation letter, I knew it was a risk because I could be back there in a few months begging them for the job. I'm not, and thank God for that, but it's it's a possibility and it happens to people. So the reality of things is that even when you feel that it's the right time, you might not actually succeed. That's the honest truth, but it is a risk. And I think I felt in the t- at the time that I would rather be wrong. I would rather put all my money on Army and I'd rather be wrong and be in this 100% and be wrong than my business fail and it's because I'm doing 50% here and 50% there. Like, nah. I'd rather be wrong. So yeah, that, it was an interesting time, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just very, it's very interesting to reflect back on it. I love your passion. I guess I get that question a lot. And one of the things that I say is you did a computer science degree. So listening to you, I find it quite nostalgic because my first degree was in informatics <laughs> and I had no business doing what I'm doing yeah. either. And, you know, I would get that question a lot in the beginning, actually, how did you decide that this was going to be your job? And, you know, because yeah. I, I quit a full-time job and decided that Malay was going to be my my job at the time. And there's a privilege to being able to do that, right? Like I, I had a support system that meant, you know, 
I still had a roof over my head and my phone bill would be paid if, you know, if I couldn't even scratch a dime together. But there's the garbage in, garbage out, you know. (laughs) To be honest, in business, you get as much as what you put in, right? So you can't expect 100% out of something if you're only giving that thing 30%. Unless you can find a way to create a, a structure or a process in place And very few startups are built with that structure in mind or businesses that can sort of run without you or maximum effort for a short period of time and then you can walk away and then it's residual income. Those products exist, but by and large, most startup businesses aren't that. Most startup businesses require, like you said, insane amounts of hours, bags under the eyes, turning up at work and tasting the blood because (laughs) you've been up for it forever. And even as a full-time job, at moments where I'm having to upskill because the business is evolving or the marketplace is evolving, I'm tasting blood throughout the day because, you know, you're up all night trying to upskill just to keep abreast with the changes that are happening or, okay, you can see that your business is lacking in, you know, something and you need to figure out, you know, is it a new team member or is it that as a business, we need to introduce this as a sales channel or distribution channel or, oh my God, the industry has so moved. This is a new platform that everyone's on. So I think there's a constant evolution that's happening in business that requires you to be able to respond quickly in and amongst sort of the, the, the time pressures. Now I want to touch on the influencer fave um, because this is a huge part of everyone's conversations around digital businesses. To use influencers or not, I think that's usually a, a, a question for most people. You know, is my money best served paying and giving product to key opinion leaders, in quotes, influencers who have a large following, who are able to talk about my products, the benefits, results, etc., and see something from it. You've had great experience with that. Do you mind sharing a little bit more around your reasons for using that or, or, or why? I think with influencers, even the influencer landscape is ever changing, ever evolving and everything. And I think that it's also very different in different parts of the world because people have different notions of exactly what an influencer is and what an influencer can bring to your brand. And, you know, I think when I speak to people about engaging with influencers, one of the main examples I use is a brand that engaged with an influencer that had 3 million followers and they couldn't sell one t-shirt from this engagement. So you can imagine how much they had paid this influencer and seen how much they did not get in return. So with the influencer partnership side of thing, it's actually very tricky. But what I try to do is to try and start in a small way. And one of my main rules with working with influencers is we only engage with influencers that have had an organic interaction with the brand. If an influencer has not had an organic interaction with the brand, we don't actually work with the influencer because we feel that, okay, so if I use an example of this beauty influencer called Dima, who's based in Nigeria. So she's a huge beauty blogger. She's got, you know, she's well known on YouTube. She has, you know, thousands of subscribers, thousands of followers on Instagram and other social media platforms. And she's just lovely. And Dima posted about our black soap on her YouTube channel. I had never even watched any of her videos before. We just started seeing like we were getting orders for the black soap and then we'd ask and then people would just be like, oh, I saw your black soap on Dimmer's YouTube video. And we're like, Dimmer's YouTube video, when did we did we send Dimmer black soap? Like we started tracing our steps back and we had no idea how she had gotten this black soap. Basically we were stopped in a in a store in Lecky at the time and she had stumbled on our black soap. Sorry, Lecky is in Lagos in Nigeria. Um, just for anyone listening that doesn't know. And so Dimmer had stumbled on our black soap at this store when she had gone there to buy some other stuff and tried it out and loved it and posted about it on her YouTube channel. So the in kind of engagement that we saw from that we were like, okay, we have to work with Dima. And we've done subsequent things with her. And, you know, it's really actually really, really worked as in like the conversion is real. So I feel that like when you work with influencers that have an organic engagement with your brand first, because, you know, in like when she did the video, she made it clear that it wasn't a sponsored post. She had bought these products by herself and these were her honest views on them. When you have an influencer of that like magnitude, 
saying that kind of thing and then using it and having a good experience like it's it's a it's a risk because she could have easily had a bad experience and that could have negatively impacted the brand but fortunately she had a good experience and then we were able to leverage off of that later down the line and work with her and on more things and that's just kind of been my rule of thumb I just like to work with people that already engage with the brand and you know are interested in the brand and even if like I can't necessarily say that that will always be the case because as we try to move into other markets and you know approach other regions um, around the world for you know wanting to bring more awareness to the brand there we can't necessarily expect that somebody in I don't know Australia would have heard of Army. So we'd have to actually look at who are key influencers there, how can we reach them and those kinds of things. But I think it's very important that as a business, you're not just going for an influencer because they have X amount of followers. And it's not even just because, oh, you have to check if they're buying followers, check their engagement. It's not even just because of that. It is also because you need to check that the influencer even matters to your target audience because you can have an influencer that has, like I mentioned earlier, 3 million followers, but their their audience of 3 million followers are not the kind of audience that want what you're selling. So does the influencer match up to your brand's target audience? Are their followers your followers? Are their followers your potential followers? Because... If you're working with someone that if you're a luxury brand and you're you're working with a maybe like a celebrity who was on like Big Brother Nigeria or something, the likelihood of them being able to afford like maybe a hundred thousand naira, which is the equivalent of about just under two hundred pounds, the likelihood of them being able to afford that kind of thing is not very high, if you see what I mean. So it's really important for people to actually have that in their mind. But if somebody that's following that influencer is just used to buying mass market products, how will you convert? It doesn't really make sense. And I think also it then that brings me to even understanding, is your business the kind of business that needs influencer partnerships? Because there are some businesses that don't need influencer partnerships. That's not the kind of communications or the kind of publicity or the kind of marketing that you actually need to gain businesses. Because if you have a B2B business, for instance, influencer partnerships don't really mean much. Or the kind of influencers that you'd be using may not be traditional social media influencers. You might be looking for like a, you know, more of like an ambassador or somebody that is like, you know, has other touch points that your target audience would reach, for instance. Because when I look at someone like my dad, for instance, my dad isn't on social media, but he watches the news every night. If you're trying to sell something to him, will you be going on social media? Of course not, because he, he would never see it. So using influencers is a good thing. It's definitely something that can work. But it really needs to be thought through. And I think there is more of an importance uh, in understanding your brand before you're even dealing with influencer partnerships. And it might be something that you might not even want to do immediately. It might be something that you might want to see how it goes across because you'll be shocked at the kinds of influencers that can engage with your brand without you paying them. Because at the end of the day, one thing that we have to remember as business owners as well is that influencers need content to stay relevant. Nobody is following an influencer that doesn't post things. Then the influencers need content just as much as you need influencers to post your content. So a lot of influencers, if they actually like your brand, they may engage with your brand before even you engaging with them. And then that's an easy way into like looking out for who to actually partner with. I'm always trying to be careful when it comes to influencer partnerships because we've seen things that just haven't worked and I think also just getting an influencer to just post about your brand might not just be enough because let's not forget that consumers can see when it's an influencer partnership even if the influencer is not putting ad in the caption they can still see when something is not a natural fit and I think another thing that has helped is that we try to actually have a conversation with an influencer. So we don't just say, so we sent something to an influencer that had kind of interacted with the brand and she asked if like there was a timeline to when she had to post and what the guidelines were for posting and everything. And we said to her that, look, there is no timeline because we're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. If you, We know it's not going to take you two or three years to post. So you post sometime this year and we're not in a hurry. And we want you to work it into your content so that it's natural. But by the time you start saying, oh, you must have this caption, you must write it like this, you must post by X time, even the influencer as well, they're going to be like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it in a way that my followers are going to really convert. So it's trying to actually build that relationship with the influencer before you're even really looking as to how it's going to really, you know, make sales and convert and everything. 
I think that would be helpful for a lot of people because I think especially with the flood of webinars and business help <laughs> happening in the middle of a pandemic, I think there's something around influencer strategies that I think can sometimes be misleading. And I've been hoping to have practitioners, especially in this season, to kind of delve into more of that world because I think it's a practical example of, I guess, digital and, and the power of that. Now, another question for you is around funding. This is a huge question that I get, and I'm sure that's what you get a lot. How do you fund a startup digital beauty brand and keep alive? Ooh, funding. So this is heavy on my mind at the moment because this is one of the things that has been a topic of conversation internally for the year and years to come because obviously to scale up and to kind of, you know, become the brand that we really want to be, it's not going to be possible for us to do this alone. But then, you know, also comes like the scary conversations of like equity sharing and, you know, what getting investment and capital really means. So I think that for us, we have delayed getting any capital, raising money for a while because so two things, wanting to understand how far we can go by ourselves. And secondly, ensuring that we have a strategy before we have money is so important to me to ensure that I don't just get like free money, even if it's a grant or a loan or some kind of investment without a strategy, because we all know how easily money can disappear. Like before you know it, you've just blown through money and you're like, where did this go? So having ensuring that we have a concrete plan where we we, we can say, okay, X percent is going to go to this and 10% is going to go to that. And we can be clear as to where it's all going. So I feel that like when, for us, we didn't start with a huge amount of capital. I had a bit of savings that I used and a lot of the operational side of things was done from home when we first started because I didn't need a huge facility. I didn't need a team. It was, I didn't know that the business would grow to the level that it's at right now. So I was still like, yeah, slow and steady, slow and steady. And I feel that a lot of people, there's this like kind of disillusion that you need to have X amount of money before you can start a business. Now, I think one thing that really helped and why I really do advocate for people to have some kind of career before they start a business is not just because you can have savings, but even though having a side hustle is quite difficult when you have a nine to five, I didn't have to live off of my business. I was living off of my nine to five, which meant that all the money that we were making of from Arami, I could put straight back into the business. I didn't have to spend any of it because I wasn't living off of it. And that was a privilege for sure, because not everybody has that kind of privilege. But if you can, and if you're at a place where you can start your business while you're working, it's such a good thing because in reinvesting back into the business as much as possible will just help your business to grow because you will have the capital that you need without being tied to someone else initially. So, you know, I remember like when we first began or, you know, when I first began, I bought enough like containers and ingredients and things like that to last me for, you know, not a very long amount of time, like for a very short amount of time. I was just buying, using, reinvesting, buying, using, reinvesting, because that was all I could actually afford. But then, you know, over time, once you've been reinvesting for some time, you're able to then buy in bulk and then you're able to store and then you're able to then, you know, use it for a longer amount of time. And then you can then buy more and then you can buy more. So we're now at a place that because of the kind of scaling up that we want to do, yes, seeking capital and understanding how we're going to fund these dreams is you know, a conversation that is being had. But I think before now, I just haven't seen the need to raise money or start with a huge amount of capital because you can start small. And I think that that's something that a lot of people just don't really understand because this comes up a lot when I have conversations, this whole capital and having the right amount of money. Just it, there's this like, oh, I, I must have X amount of money. I must, if I can't, then I can't buy this how about starting small? It really, really does help. And I know that there are some businesses that you do need a lot of money to start initially. But for us, because of the kind of business that we have, we were able to just start small by small. But I do know that some businesses do need 
some amount of capital. And I think all I would really say in that regard, because I'm not experienced in it, but what I do feel is important is that you just must have a plan before you're raising money. It can't just be that you have a figure in your head and you're not going to start until you have that figure. It has to be that you have a plan for what you need the money for. Because I feel that sometimes even when you do a plan, you might sometimes even realize that you don't even need as much as you thought that you needed. That's the honest truth. That's really my thoughts on it. Very true. Money is oxygen in any business and is very well needed. But sometimes it doesn't present itself in the exact same way. I think it's easy to get bugged down with the need to have the funding. Uh, But most times, like you said, you might have it in your bank account, but might not need it. There are other things that you can do. There's a privilege of having the time. There's a privilege of you know, living at home, there's a privilege. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Those are all costs that, you know, most times people don't account for. But if you were not living at home and you were living on your own, or, you know, if you didn't have a partner or whatever the case might be, you know, those are costs that you would have to figure out how you meet. You know, I always say the best time to start a business now, you know, I started Malay at 23. And At the time, like you, I felt like I should have started my business when I was much older and had, you know, worked and saved money. But actually, no, I I think I actually started at the right time. I think with little responsibilities, you know, I'm a mother now, I have bills to pay, I have, you know, stuff. There there are all these responsibilities. I think the least responsible you are in life in terms of obligations, it's probably the best time to start a business because you have a lot less to lose. And, you know, if I think of a lot of the things I did early on, you know, ignorance is bliss. The ignorance of those moments actually were helpful in me being daring and in me being willing to take risks and me being willing to challenge the status quo and go, actually, why not? But when you, I guess for the lack of a better word, knowing what I know now, would I have attempted Malay in the same way? Um, Probably not. But I'm really proud to see so many other brands being born out of the continent. And it's beautiful for me to see and it's beautiful for me to be a part of and to be able to, in some way, contribute to those journeys. Speaking of early life, I touched on, you know, your first degree. Now, you're Nigerian or your parents are Nigerian. You were born in the UK, raised in the UK, and then decided to move to Nigeria in 2013. Never lived there. Why? That's a question that comes up a lot. And (laughs) I wish I could remember how I used to think at that time, but it's just, it's literally like six, seven years ago. So I moved here in 2014 when I was 23. So like the time, the exact same age that you started your business. And, you know, at 23, what do you really know? What do you really know? And I think I was just at the point in my life where I was like, okay, these are the thoughts that I can remember. I was thinking, okay, I'm 23. I have a full-time job in the UK. I've lived here all my life. I am bored, genuinely. Those were the thoughts that were in my mind at the time. And so it was like, okay, where could I move to? I never did like a gap year or anything like that. So I was thinking, okay, where could I move to that I wouldn't have to have such like a huge life adjustment and I don't need like you know, so much money for this to to do this, you know, even if it's just for like a few years, how, how can I do this? And so the idea of Nigeria just seemed like it made the most sense because, you know, as you said, uh, my parents are Nigerian, even though I grew up in the UK, I would say I'm very Nigerian to my core. I'm very cultured. You know, I understand the language, the language of Yoruba, which is um, the tribe that my parents are both from so I understand it and I've and I used to come to Nigeria on holiday a lot before I moved here so I've, I've always felt this kind of like I guess love for Nigeria and this almost like knowing within me that I am Nigerian and when I come here I'm like okay this is where I'm from and everything and you know my dad lives here and well he's here between the UK and, and um, Nigeria he splits his time between so you know I I knew I had a home I had a soft landing spot I had friends that lived in Nigeria okay this this can't be too hard and you know there's this thing in Nigeria called 
NYSC, so it's the National Youth Service. Everybody in Nigeria has to do it before they can get like a full-time job. So it's a year program. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm young. Okay, what if I ever want to live in Nigeria in the future? You kind of have to do this, if, especially if you ever wanted to go into like a political position. So, you know, I'm like, you know, you just never know with life. You never know where you're going to find yourself. Let me do this NYSE thing. And it's a good like almost like year out from the UK. And I can just kind of see what life would be like on the other side. So it was never meant to be like this full-time forever thing I just wanted a break to be very honest and I wanted to just have a different experience and I was young and I felt like I really had nothing to lose so I came here and I haven't left and it's almost seven years and I even as I say seven years I can't believe that I've been living in Nigeria for seven years I mean obviously I go back to the UK all the time because that's home and my mum lives there and everything but now it's just this is also home so it's very weird because now I have like two homes and you know my siblings are all around the world and everything so now life is a bit different but it was almost like meant to be and that was sort of one of the things I was talking about earlier when I was saying you know different things you find yourself in different spaces in life and you find yourself doing different things and everything just kind of comes together and that was one of the things that kind of just came together because I can't really tell you that this was the concrete, solid reason why I found myself in Nigeria. But seven years later, almost seven years later, and, you know, in the middle of having a business that has been around for four years, I know that this is where I'm meant to be because I wouldn't have been able to start Army in the way that I did and build it to where I've been able to right now if I lived in the UK. Because, you know, I know that there are other brands that exist in the UK, the US that, you know, pride themselves that African brands, they use African ingredients, but I'm close to the source. I'm at the source. I'm able to get ingredients when I need to. I'm able to create real relationships with my suppliers and not just a business relationship, but an actual relationship. And I'm understanding women that are at the grassroots. I'm understanding the processing of um, share nuts and, you know, all kinds of things. And it's also helped me to also be closer to the continent of Africa because now I'm finding things outside of Nigeria. I'm going to Ghana. I'm looking at ingredients there. I'm going to South Africa. I'm looking at ingredients there. I'm able to look at the landscape as a whole, which I would not have been able to do in the UK. So it's one of those things where I'm like, how, why, when, where, for what reason? I don't know, but I know that somehow I was meant to be here and it just all came together. Very, very, very beautiful story and journey. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Where can anyone find you, try your products, all of that good stuff? (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This has actually been a very, very of like very fresh conversation to be honest so thanks so much for having me on your platform and I'm really excited to hear feedback about it and if people want to find um, Aramie online so the brand's handle on all platforms is Aramie Essentials A-R-A-M-I Essentials and our website is aramieessentials.com I mean, I'm not like so, so active. I'm not like an influencer, but you know, I have Instagram and it's just Aurea Tomi, which is my full name. That's my Instagram handle if anybody wants to follow me, but it's been a real pleasure. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. All the details will be in the show notes so that you can check them out on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and looking forward to seeing all the amazing things that you've got planned for 2021. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. 